Paul said to the Corinthians, I handed on to you of first importance what had been handed on to me, that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. I handed on to you of first importance which I had received, Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My college campus ministry was going nowhere. We had a solid band. I was the drummer. We played every Sunday night. We played some of the best and the newest Christian music. We tried exciting and new initiatives to get more people to come to church on Sunday night. We even gave out free donuts every Monday morning with a, hey, have a donut and join us for church on Sunday night. You can imagine how well that went in a college town. We even tried to create these relevant topics where we would, we would uh, have a, a lesson on a movie that had come out or something that was relevant that was going on in the ethos. But we just had the same people show up week after week after week. We never had a real conversation about it, but there was a feeling in the air that if we weren't growing, we were failing. That if we didn't have more people coming every week, then we were not doing what we were supposed to do. Every summer I'd go home and I'd work for my home church, the one that had raised me, and I'd go back to school in the fall with all these new ideas about how we could get new people to come to church. And sometimes it worked. We'd be setting up with the band, and this young college co-ed would walk in. And they'd say, oh, yeah, we heard you had a church. We want to check it out. And our, our spirits would be lifted. We would be, like, on fire for Jesus because we got one new person in the door. And then we would get afraid. What if, what if they don't like what we're preaching about? What if they don't like the songs we sing? What if they don't like the communion bread we picked? And you know what happened every time we got somebody new? They never came back. So everything about our college ministry, it felt like it was just failing. And during my final semester of undergrad, we decided that the only way to reach new people was to start over, literally. We scrapped everything and we began with a clean slate because everything we were doing to do church wasn't working. And we decided, you know what? Instead of trying to fix a broken church, let's just make a new one. I mean, think about that. Think if you got to start from ground zero. Oh, this is how we are going to do church. We're not going to make all the mistakes we've made in the past this time. This time, it's going to be perfect. And so we had this core group of people, and we met at a bagel shop in town. And even though I was soon to graduate in a few months, I attended to offer my opinions about how we should start a new church, even though I wouldn't be there. And our leader, she pulled out a pad of paper, and she began by saying, if we're really going to do this thing, if we're going to start a new church... We need to create a list of what we believe. We need to create a list of what we believe. We need to post it online so that anyone who comes to our church, they're going to know ahead of time who we are and what we believe. And I thought, oh, that's perfect. Back to the basics. Start with what we believe, and then we can have a new perfect church. So we went around the table, and we all got a chance to offer our opinions about what we believe and what we want our new church to believe. I believe... That the church should welcome everyone, no matter what. I thought, oh, that's pretty good. I can be on board with that. Someone said, I agree, I agree. But I also believe that the church should have expectations about what it means to live like a Christian. I said, okay, yeah, Paul does that. Yeah, we can do it. Oh, I have another thing. I believe that the people who join us should agree to believe what we believe because it's what we believe. 
By the time we went around the circle at the table, we had three pages filled out front and back with a list of our beliefs. And you know what? Not a single one of them had anything to do with God. I passed on to you as of importance what was first passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. I passed on to you of first importance, Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. He appeared to Peter, then the twelve. Then he appeared to 500 more brothers and sisters at once. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me, the least of the apostles. To Paul, this was of first importance. Not our behavior, not even a creed or what we believe, but a story. The story. Jesus lived, he died, and he lived again. And then he appeared to the disciples. Now, if you're like me, you've heard the story a lot. It's the Easter story. It's what we talk about every year. It's the Easter story. Died and rose again. And we know the story so well and so much that we just don't really think about how crazy it is. We don't give it much thought because, seriously, what was Jesus thinking? If you forgive me, God, what were you thinking? He resurrected from the grave and he shows up to who? Peter. You know, the one who had denied him three days ago. I mean, think about, don't you think Jesus would have been a little more effective if he was going to do this whole religion thing? For maximum results, to spread a new religion. You don't go wasting your time talking to somebody who just denied you. You've got to go to the movers and the shakers. You've got to go to the powers, the principalities. You've got to go to the people with the money. The ones who really get things done. If Jesus really wanted to shake up the world, why didn't he go straight to the top? It doesn't seem like a very good or effective strategy to me. Our Jesus, the one we love and adore, he didn't go to the emperor's palace. He didn't go to the top of the temple and wait for people to show up. The resurrected Jesus showed up in front of the very people who abandoned him. When we celebrate Easter every year, we forget that part, I think. If you think about it for just a moment, the most incredible thing in the history of history has taken place, and Jesus appears to a ragtag group of would-be followers who misunderstood him, who forsook him, and fled from him in the darkness. Jesus chose, in the most powerful moment of all history, to return to the people who betrayed him. People like us. And of all the people in the world, he chose Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul are the ones to whom the resurrection is made as clear and day. Peter was a perjurer. Paul was a murderer. That's a bad strategy, Jesus. You're going to go to the one who said, I don't know who he is. And then at the end, you're going to go to the one who killed Christians. A denier of the faith and a killer of the faith. I mean, it would have been news enough that this first century rabbi rose from the dead. But the good news is that he rose for people like Peter and Paul. It rose for people like us. Churches are forever trying to think of new things to do to reach new people. They all take a good hard look in the mirror and then they'll trim back the fat of whatever's holding them back. They'll, they'll make a new list of things we believe. Churches like that on Sunday, the music is always easy to sing. Everyone wears comfortable clothing and a very handsome pastor will be there every Sunday to tell you how your life can be better if you just let Jesus into your heart. 
I mean, not far from us, there is a relatively new church that meets in a movie theater on Sunday mornings. They have a rock band that sets up front. They play four or five incredible songs, and the words are up on the movie theater screen so everyone can sing along. And when they finish, a man appears, not in the flesh, but on the screen, to tell people, if you let Jesus into your heart, everything will be better. And he talks about that for 15 minutes. And at the end, a band gets up there for one more song, and everyone goes home. And you know what? They're bursting at the seams. They're running out of room. Week after week, more and more people are showing up wanting to know how their lives can be better if they find Jesus. They're running out of space in the theater, so people have to stand or sit in the aisles on Sunday morning. And the church should be doing what it can to reach new people, even those who are convinced that if you let Jesus into your heart, it'll fix all your other problems. But the problem is that's not who we are. That's not who we are. That's not what the Bible tells us about ourselves. Because the gospel isn't about how we can get better by getting closer to God, though it certainly doesn't hurt. The gospel is about how groups of bad people come together to come to grips with the fact that they fail to be good. The Bible isn't about people getting better by getting closer to God. It's about people like you and me getting getting together Sunday after Sunday, coping with the fact that we really can't be good in the first place. But that doesn't sell. It's not sexy. It doesn't drive people in the doors on Sunday morning. It doesn't ring well as a promotional slogan or fit nicely on a bumper sticker. It doesn't compel people like you to go home and invite all your neighbors to come back next Sunday. Hey, hey, guess what? Guess what? We got this pastor. He told us that we're bad and we're never going to get better. (laughs) Come join us on Sundays. And yet, the story of Jesus Christ doesn't revolve around people trying to find God and find themselves along the way. Over and over again, the gospel, the truth, is that God seeks people, seeks people like us, despite our best and even our worst intentions. God really is the good shepherd who doesn't shrug his shoulder when one of the sheep has gone missing. God goes and does whatever it takes, risks it all if necessary to get that one washed sheep. God really is the father who does not sigh in disappointment about his wayward son. He instead reaches down into the muck and the mire of life to grab that prodigal son so that he can rejoice with his father forever. God really is the sower who, regardless of how bad the weather is or horrible the soil appears, he keeps tossing out seeds, hoping that one day it will take root and bear fruit. We Christians, we like to think we're good. We're always getting better, that we have some special access to something the world otherwise ignores. But the truth is, the heart of being a Christian is the recognition that we haven't done anything. Instead, something has happened to us. The risen Lord has come back to us. We might not be able to pinpoint it or even describe it, but we are here simply because Jesus did not give up on us. Jesus did not abandon us. Jesus found us, grabbed us, and forgave us. So the question is, what is of first importance for the church? What is at the foundation of who we are and what we believe? Because to the poor and struggling Corinthians, those early Christians who were failing to be the church, who were arguing daily, who were refusing to welcome the other as brother and the stranger as sister, Paul takes them back to the middle to the decisive and most important moment in the middle of history, he takes them back to Easter. 
Paul reminds them and us that whenever the gathering of Christians happens, the risen Christ finds us, not the other way around. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. That is of first importance. And if we're honest, a decisively difficult thing these days, then we, like Paul, are the least apostles. We are unfit to even call ourselves apostles. In the last ten days, our, uh, our beloved state, our old dominion, has seen its fair share of controversy. Our governor's uh, medical yearbook came out, and it surfaced with a picture of a man in blackface next to a man wearing a KKK robe and a hood on his page with his name on it. And of course, at first he apologized, and then he said it wasn't really him. And then the next day, the second in command, our lieutenant governor, was hit with a number of credible accusations of sexual assault. And then the next day, the third in command, our attorney general, admitted to having worn blackface in the past. I don't know. That just happens to be only three people, the three most powerful people in our state, over the last ten days. I could go on... And on. And I have plenty of times. I love picking on politicians from the pulpit. It's got to be one of my favorite. I love the Bible. I love talking about what Jesus says. But I also love picking on politicians. And you know why I love to pick on politicians? Because it's so easy. It is just, it is so easy. It's easy because we elevate them and we deify them like they're these perfect people. We lift them up like they're the ones who are going to save us. We do it to governors and presidents and senators and congressmen. We do it again and again and again. And then we find out something from their past. And oh, we are so shocked to discover that they're flawed. We are shocked to discover something we don't want to admit. They're like us. They're like us. The greatest theological smack in the face is that God in Christ died for them. Even greater than that is the theological smack that comes in our face when we realize that God died for us. So we can do whatever we think we need to do. We can change what we do on Sunday mornings. We can make it more appealing, whatever that means. We can even blow up the church and start over. We can sit around a table at a bagel shop and we can make a list of what we believe. But of first importance, at the very heart of what it means to be who we are, is a story. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. That's the story. It's not a story. It's not even our story. It's the story. It's the story of God who came back for us. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. My office is upstairs to the left, down the hall, on the right. I've uh, been in that office here at the church for uh, close to a year and a half. And one of the things that we really never anticipated about being a pastor is that you get phone calls, you get emails, and people show up all the time unannounced. And it's never for something good. You know? Hey, I just want to come by and let you know I've got a raise at work. Never had that happen in my office. You know what I hear? Oh, 
pay cut. Oh, I just lost my job. Just found out about my wife. Just found out about my kid. Every once in a while, somebody will come in and they'll say, hey, I just really need to tell you something. And they'll tell me something that I will never, ever repeat. And then at the end, they almost always say the same thing. Oh, you know what? I've never told that to anybody before. So trust me when I say, we are a church of very broken people. All of us have a yearbook. All of us have done something we're ashamed of. All of us have not done something we should have done. The craziest thing of all, I, I can't underscore how crazy this is, is that God knows exactly what we've done. God knows it better than even we know what we've done and still died in Christ and rose again for us. That's crazy. At the heart of being a Christian is a recognition that God has done something crazy, that we worship a crazy God. I mean, even if we don't think about ourselves, I will tell you, I am not a good person. That's why I get to wear this dress and this scarf every Sunday. I'm the chief sinner of us all. I'm here as a witness. Don't be like me. Be like Jesus. It is crazy to know how broken and bad and terrible we can be. And then God still chose to die for us. I mean, it's just crazy. It's as crazy as saying something like ushers come into the room to receive the gifts of God's people. That we believe in giving from ourselves, that it's a blessing to other people. That's crazy. Being a Christian is fundamentally a crazy proposition. So I can't wait to hear how it goes for you when you go knock on your neighbor's door this afternoon and say, Hey, we got this pastor. He told us we're bad, and we're not getting back. <laughs> Think about how filled our church is going to be next. <laughs>